and welcome to episode 89 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Y'all are going to have to bear with me here a little bit. Um, I actually blew out my voice yesterday, um, particularly... Screaming at Dark Souls again. No, I wasn't playing Dark Souls. It, it was actually Dragon Age, and I just... Oh, I. I completely blew my voice out yelling at Solus, who just decided to go running into Dragon Breath and die. And... That's not where you're supposed to go? Hmm? That's not where you're supposed to go? Yeah, uh-huh. he, he seemed to just not understand that, and I absolutely lost my mind. And I got very mad at Dragon Age, and I was kind of complaining about it on the boards. Then I found the Knight, Enchan- uh, Knight Enchanter class, and I was able to face tank a dragon by myself. This term face tank is very interesting to me. I'm not familiar with it. it. It came on the Diablo forums. It's actually what people refer to as like when a barbarian just like stands in front of a monster and just wails on him and there's no way for the monster to kill him. That's Stephen Myrink, everybody. Taylor's on the boards. And the fine gentleman you heard a second ago was Derek Heemsbergen. Yep, Embryon on the boards. So yeah, uh, Dragon Age. I'm still really liking that game, but good lord, I hate those dragon battles. I really, really hate the dragon battles. I hate them. I think we sort of determined that Rob does not like uh, optional boss fights in RPGs because he does not like it when the mechanics are taken to the extreme. Uh, he doesn't like it. And again, I'm not trying to say like, oh, he doesn't like it. But like, from what I found when we were talking about it, you don't like it when the mechanics demand a different style of play than they have in the standard campaign, which is actually what I like about most secret boss battles is that they necessitate you playing a very different way often a much more particular way. Well, I, I think you've got a good point there, which is that I've kind of been playing Dragon Age the same way the entire time, where I've been playing as an archer rogue who kind of commands the battlefield, and I, I mainly just play as him, and I direct you know, very little else. And that has been working the entire time. I only had one major boss encounter that gave me trouble, but I was able to come away from it. And, and so there's something. I do appreciate the dragon battles making you do something new. I do like that. My problem with the dragon battles is some of the mechanics of them, A, I don't think they're very fair, and B, some of the lessons that I feel the game has taught you earlier are actually being used against you. So that the, the example I have there is you have this awesome... Uh, dispel attack with your mages where like if a if a monster is being summoned from a fade rift you can dispel it and it's like a very tactical thing or if you have party members that are on fire you can dispel it and save your party members i really like that so the dragon has this aura attack which it puts on your party members and it does instant damage and it's like damage over time as well and it can target all of your party it doesn't have to target a specific party or it doesn't have to target the ground or anything like that That attack annoys me right off the bat. And then I was being stupid, and I was like, oh, I I didn't realize I could dispel the attack. And then when I tried to, I saw that there was like a shimmer shine on my characters right before the attack started working. And I was like, oh, that's the game teaching me that I can dispel this right now and save myself the trouble. I I was like, wow, this is a really tactical thing. Yeah, uh uh-uh, that's not how it works. You try to dispel the attack. The game's basically telling you the attack's coming you can't do anything about it. You have to let it hit you at least once before you can dispel it. And so at that point, I'm like, well, why did the game then give me the shimmer shine? Why did it do that? Like, <laughs> it's totally amused by shimmer shine. But I, I want to use the term shimmer shine more often in my everyday conversation. I think you have. I, I got to give I don't credit know about to you, that. Derek. It sounds to me, and again, I've, I've done some of these fights, and I agree. 
I think the thing is, is that you don't have as much experience with an MMO, and that's a very MMO-like thing. Like, this is about to hit you. You need to prepare to mitigate that you're being hit by it. And see, I would rather have the, this thing is about ready to hit you, do something about it right now, and we're going to reward you. That's you what I re- like. No, you get you don't get rewarded. You get less punished. Yeah, and see yeah, that exactly. I can definitely agree with you that it has more of an MMO feel. And uh, and by the way, I got to give credit to the Twin Perfect guys for the Shimmer Shine thing. I think that was on their Silent Hill downpour review. So I, I got to cite my sources when I do something okay. like that. But like, so that really annoys me. Then the, just some of the dragon attacks are so cheap. Like it's got this wind flap thing. That it like sucks all your party members in and it does massive damage. And I'm like, so really there's no point in me moving my rogues and my mages away from the dragon if he's just going to suck them in randomly. All I know is that I walked by a dragon and shot an arrow at its wing and then it stomped my party into oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it not time for me to fight those yet. They are I- very late game. And I've also found that, like, the AI, you really have to babysit the AI during those dragon encounters, unless you play as a knight enchanter, and but, you can just but tank is it, damn But is it babysitting, or is it strategizing? No, it's it's literal babysitting. Your party members will stand in death and not they do just, anything like, about it. Wail and throw tantrums, and you have to cook them mac and cheese, and you have I to mean, put on their favorite video. I mean, that's what I do normally, but... When the dragon right. throws, like, this lightning bolt area of effect spell on the ground, I don't expect my mage to go running through that. I mean, honestly, you know, you wouldn't want them to, but I'm sort of – that's sort of a thing I've accepted in a lot of these tactical games is that, like, they are never smart enough to not run into a super attack. Like, yeah, they'll avoid most attacks. They'll avoid a standard attack. But, like, unique attacks like that – Usually I'm, you know, Tales games, Dragon Age games, Baldur's Gate. It's I'm usually ready to move people, you know, every couple of seconds because, you know, of where the positioning is so important. And, and I get that, but you can have a situation where Solus starts running into the dragon attack and it's like, well, he's going to die. There's nothing I can do to get him out of here right now. Like his teleport skill is on cooldown. He's going to drop. And it was no fault of my own. He just started running through that attack. And I agree with you that the that's a problem not just in Dragon Age. I've seen that problem in a lot of games. But in Dragon Age, it just... When, when everything works in Dragon Age, and it's been this way since Origins, when everything works and your tactics are perfect, and like when I played Origins the first time, go back and check the like first couple podcasts we did... I sucked at that game. I was stupid. I had no concept of crowd control. I just thought that I played it very much like a JRPG. I was just go for go for damage spells. All I need are damage spells, and I can I can take out everything. And my brother-in-law is like hitting me upside the head, going like, no, 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 no. You need like the sleep spell. You need like this spell. You need this. You need the paralyzing cage. When I figured out how to play Origins with the crowd control, like I don't get hit. I can handle nightmare, no problem. I think because the combat encounters in Inquisition are more random, especially like out in the open areas, like you don't walk into situations anymore. You're like walking into kind of dynamic encounters. You have the potential for things to just go absolutely wrong. Like there was one point where like an enemy just did not get taunted by one of my warriors, ran right up to Solus and just impaled him in one hit and killed him. And I was like, oh. Okay. Uh, he can spend his entire life researching the fade, but he can't learn how to get out of the way of a yeah, shoulder. Yeah, he can't shot. learn how to dodge. Like it just, 
I think I think Inquisition's a great game. Don't get me wrong. I've had very little problems with it. I've had an absolute blast going through all these character stories. Like I love this game, but then I got to these dragon encounters, and it it almost feels like they don't work. When my warriors are spending more time like clipping up against the dragon instead of just attacking him, <laughs> like they're not attacking him. They're just like circling him because they're not playing like my knight enchanter who is just like cleaving this thing in half with a massive sword i play these dragon encounters like an action game because the knight enchanter is so overpowered there's no point and also the game doesn't know how to play a knight enchanter if you do it in tactical mode it won't continue to use its best skill attack it'll like start randomly shooting fireballs like ranged fireball attacks right when it's next to an enemy just well the- they're, they're trying to use variety i mean as a player knight enchanter yes the goal is to run up and hit with a sword until everything is dead I don't know. I think the AI in this game, I, I kind of figured I was going to have problems with it when you go from Origins and Dragon Age 2, where you kind of had, I don't want to say it was like the Gambit system, but it was close. And to be fair, it never worked as well as the Gambit system, and that was a problem in Origins and in Dragon Age 2. In Inquisition, you only have like the absolute barest essential control over the AI. Most of the time it does a good job, but when it gets dumb, it gets really really dumb and it will get you killed and so it's like you gotta babysit the living crap out of it that's fine but then when i get to the dragon battles which are supposed to be these big tactical affairs screw it i'm just gonna play as the most overpowered class in the game and not die (laughs) it's like why even bother and i i i know dave pointed this out on the message board and i don't want to speak to him but he he did say like the rogues don't even feel like they can survive a dragon very effectively. Like, they're so squishy. So having one in your party is a liability. Having your Inquisitor be a rogue is probably a liability during the dragon fights. So, again, I feel like I'm being punished for my character class choice, and I have to build this ultimate party to fight these optional bosses. That's fine. Some people really like that, but I feel like there's yeah, a you know what? way to fight them. I agree with you. I think, honestly, though, that is sort of an RPG thing, because, like, a lot of things, like, you know, like, for example, I've been playing Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix and fighting the secret bosses. There's a very specific strategy that works for many of those bosses, and it's not, it is not the standard game where it's like, yeah, I'm just going to hit everything and mash buttons and have fun. You know, it's, it is certainly, I think it appeals to a more hardcore player that is going to want to seek out the perfect strategy for it that might not be the strategy you would want to use on every other fight. Right. And that's where like, I, I will, I will cop to this right now. And then I want to get Derek, Derek's opinion in there. Cause uh, he seems to have a good segue, but I, I will cop to this. And I know someone's going to demand my RPG fan card. I have never beat Ruby and Emerald weapon in final fantasy seven. And that's I ha- it. your card is revoked. And yeah. I have zero desire to ever do it. Because I saw I what I have to do, and I'm like, well, that's not strategy. That's just... Well, I haven't beaten Emerald either. I mean, it's... Well, you know, it's I, I've beaten them, but it's very much like, you know, go get W Summon, go get Knights of the Round, you know, that's and cook- murder them. That, that To me, that's not strategy. That's a cookbook. Well, that's not strategy. That's an RPG min-maxing, you know, yes. doing side quests to become overpowered. That's fine. If people like that, I have no problem with that, but that holds 
absolutely zero appeal for me. And so I was really enjoying Inquisition where I felt like I was playing a very unique party. I was I felt like I was being rewarded for being tactical. You know, how many people make Archer rogues as their Inquisitor? Like I, I loved it. I was like, this is great. I'm gonna have a ball with this. And then I get to these dragon battles and it's like, okay, these things need to be taken out in a specific way. And I almost right. wish I had just walked away from them. I wish I, I, I would like the game more if I had just said, Rob, you don't like these kind of things, just walk away. I will say uh, Caitlin, another friend of mine, and another friend of mine all made Archer Rogues, and they have fought dragons. I don't see how they stayed alive. Unless they had two they mages and they were really min-maxing the barriers. I really equipment? don't see I don't know. I mean, I will say, Rob, I mean, you said you didn't use crafting much. Equipment is incredibly important. Like, you get to the point where your mages have guard meters because your gear is so good. You kind of need that. Like, that might help your your rogues too, but again, these are not fights you walk into because you're like, I'm a high level, I'm gonna go fight this battle. It's like, no, I went and min maxed my gear. I found the perfect stuff to fight these dragons. I have the perfect setup. I've brought, I've I've carefully thought about every potion I'm bringing. So I mean, no, it's it's not something you walk into just because you're at the end of the game. It's very much a there is a specific, you know, you need to go about this a certain way with a certain set of gear and skills. Yeah. Yeah, I just wish I had I, – I think I'd have my voice right now, but I just wish I had, like, listened to my own inner gamer that's like, Rob, you never, ever like doing that stuff, and I had just walked away from it. So let's get Derek in here because he said that this is a good segue point. Right, well, what I was thinking was uh, – so a game that I picked back up was Final Fantasy X HD, and I, I played it and beat it when it came out on, on PS2. But it's been quite a few years since I touched it last. Um, I watched a friend play through it a few years ago, but I wasn't really that involved in the experience. So this time around, I chose the Expert Sphere Grid. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it's just basically like a reordered Sphere Grid in FF10. All the characters proceed along slightly different paths, and they intersect at different points and stuff. Um, well, for one, I feel like it makes... I mean, It's called the Expert Sphere Grid. I feel like it makes the game harder in a weird way. Like, it just kind of makes everybody weaker or maybe i'm just not remembering well but i think it makes kamari better but did anybody yeah. get kamari right the first time when they played final fantasy 10 no. absolutely well, not he's placed in a bad spot like that the the my, my roommate's been playing it a lot lately too and i've played it before and like kamari definitely was sort of underpowered unless you went out of your way to make him not terrible in the original in this He's much better, but a lot of other characters sort of have a really weird growth arc. Like, mm. Lulu is basically useless for me, or, or was throughout the entire game. Really? Yeah, which is weird, because I remember her being good the first time I played. And and you're right, though, about Kimari, because he was my weakest character by far, first time I played through, because I just had him follow Titus's path, which I think a lot of people did, and that doesn't really work for him. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, at least not as his first and only growth path. But so so a problem that I had while playing it was that the game seemed not impossibly hard or anything, but just weirdly balanced in such a way that encounters were getting really tedious and I could beat things, but it wasn't it did. It felt like I was doing it wrong, if that makes sense. So I got to the end of the game. Um, I had left off at Mount Gagazette like months ago. I don't know. And uh, I decided that I would just power through the rest of it and cleared off my backlog since I have a couple weeks to game before the next semester starts. So I was playing through it and I got to the end of the game and then I was just I got to the final boss battle and it was just a huge pain in the butt 
it was taking me forever. I sat there, uh, his little, there's a, a, an enemy, like an added enemy in the fight. I want to say add, like MMO terminology. There's an add. There's another enemy in the fight that just recharges him. Like it recharges the overdrive gauge on the boss and heals a little bit. And I was hitting a stalemate where it just, I couldn't do enough damage to offset. Like Auron was doing 9999, but I didn't have his ultimate weapon or anything like that. So I was like, all right. I wasted a ton of time just trying to cheese this boss, so I'll f- I guess I'll go back and get the ultimate weapons, whatever, that's fine. So I go to do that, and I discover the new addition to Final Fantasy X International, the Dark Aeons, which are a load of crap. I, Okay, so this is the whole optional challenge thing. The Dark Aeons exist... To, to, to me, it seems like they just exi- exist to cockblock you from getting to the ultimate <laughs> weapons. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to go, so I'm like, I'm going to go get Orin's weapon. Nope, sure can't, because you're going to go to, I was on, I don't know, Mushroom Rock Road or whatever, and then they summon the friggin' Dark Mages Sisters, and they just annihilate me with five-digit damage in one turn, and I'm like, cool. I just, I, I feel like that kind of, it's not that I mind that the Dark Ands exist, it's that the way that they were implemented in the game is terrible. Mm. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like, there's no way to get around some of them to get to ultimate weapons and stuff like i imagine there has to be some kind of optimal path that you can take to get like oh i can get yuna's ultimate weapon and then i can fight the weakest one that's in my way like valifor or something and then i have no idea but i oh my god they pissed me off so much i was just like why 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 are you the the international version is the version of final fantasy 10 for everyone who was like the original is too easy they're like oh really and, like, that's kind of been a running joke with Square Enix when it comes to these things, right? Like, uh, you're playing the Kingdom Hearts HD Remix 2.5 uh, Giant Boobaloo Editions. and like, battery mode. And, like, those games get... They have super insane bosses, correct? Yeah, that, that's, like, that's the big perk, is that KH2 was seen as very easy, so they added a lot of challenging content and then a lot of very challenging content. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and, the whole time we've been great. recording, I'm watching my brother fight Roxas, the secret one of the secret boss battles, but, and I mean this is a fight where you need to know how to block all of his attacks or you're going to die. Right, but and that's cool. I appreciate yeah, that, but it needs to be thing. implemented no in such a way that it, you're not trapped by it. Like you shouldn't be trapped by hard ass encounters. Like in Shimigami Tensei Nocturne, when you have to fight the Candelabra holders, and Matador just comes and is like, "What's up? I'm gonna annihilate you." I am way stronger than everybody else. Yeah, you have to have like it's just it's so disproportionately difficult with everything else that's happening at that point in the game and that's to be fair the dark ants don't appear in ff10 until you're at the end side questing but they prevent you from i feel like they prevent you from getting strong enough to actually fight them reasonably without just grinding a lot mm-hmm. like yes yeah. correct but. me if i'm wrong but i i'm almost positive doesn't 10 especially the international one can't you start building your basically own ultimate weapons because you can craft or you can synthesize items or something so you can get abilities on weapons isn't there a way to get break damage limit and stuff on weapons that are not mm-hmm. the ultimate weapons before you even have them? Because I remember that was a critique some people had of like Lulu's thing. Like you could dodge 200 lightning bolts or you could just go build a different weapon. That's interesting. I didn't know that you could do that. Well, I, I mean, it makes sense that they might have added that. But um, I would imagine that, in, that it would involve farming in some way. Like you'd have to probably go do arena creatures and steal from them. Or, like, I, I don't know. But yeah, I think it I think it um, even in the original, it sort of required that. So I would not be surprised if like the arc of it is now is you farm and grind to get gear so you can beat the dark aeons so you can get the ultimate weapons so you can go fight like penance 
and all that right. stuff in the arena because Penance is like I've I've never seen anybody beat Penance, which I think is the hardest boss in the game. But it, it's uh, got yeah. like a billion HP or something. Uh huh. Yeah, no interest in that. Thanks. Uh, there <laughs> occasionally, depending on the game, I'll be interested in that kind of stuff, but definitely not ff10 i actually i grew pretty tired of it towards the end and that's because i was rushing through it again because i had already beaten it and i was like you know i just wanted to i wanted the main reason why i got ff10 hd in the first place is because i wanted to hear the remastered soundtrack in context and you know it's it was a i i used to think of it as one of my favorite final fantasies but i actually think upon replaying it that it hasn't aged super well like i think seven eight and nine particularly nine are in a weird point in time where they aged a little bit better than 10 did um the mostly nine like hilarious seven has some issues but well seven and eight really have some issues but like 10 10 went for the the best like the highest graphical fidelity at the time and it looks super great and it's still it's still a good looking game but the engine shows its age severely and it's not just the graphics i guess there are just certain aspects of it that strike me as like weirdly <laughs> The animations and the way people like it's before they got good at localizing things to the point where you could tell this wasn't meant to be in Japanese. Like all the gestures and stuff are tied to the Japanese language track. So like people like shrug their hands at the wrong times, like for no reason. Yeah, and like, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can tell none of them were in the same room when they recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, hey, Waka, what do you think of that? Man, I think that's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, the tone exactly is way off and you know john dimaggio voices waka so this is not a guy who's not used to voice acting so it's clearly a yeah bite my know, shiny metal ass yeah, yeah bite my shiny metal blitz ball yeah i mean and i, I was re-watching uh, a lot of metal gear solid one because i was watching the metal gear scanlon stuff on giant bomb and so it was really cool to like watch that game and watch these guys have trouble with it and like getting stuck on the ocelot fight. And then I listened to the dialogue and I'm like, this game still sounds awesome because you can tell that they recorded in the same room. And so like actors are playing off of each other, which is great. And you don't typically see that, especially with localized games. And I think that yeah. that's, you know, I F- said recognize- was- what was that? Yeah. FF10 was important, and I recognized oh, a lot yeah. of the advances that it made. You know, it was like the first big budget. I'm, there may have been others, but it was known as being one of the first really big budget games with voice acting, like big budget RPGs with voice acting. It was the first Final Fantasy with voice acting. It pioneered a new generation of RPGs. It was a really big part of that, and I, I totally recognize that. I just think that in comparison to 9, which I, I think 9, despite its slowness and like the the game the battles are slow in nine and i don't really think you can debate that last disc sucks let's be honest here Mm. i don't know i like it but like (laughs) i just wanted to see if he was listening to me of course i'm listening i'm not you i listen i think that that ff9 is a little bit i i guess the style and the writing and everything ages a little bit better because i think in 10 there's a lot of awkwardness and things that were partially part of just the time that it released which is fine but i guess what i'm getting at is that dark hands are crap and uh <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to replay ff10 ever again probably i think i'm i'm good i think one of my worst gaming moments to, to go back to metal gear for just a second but when i finally saw naomi hunter in metal gear solid 4 and she was gyrating and moving around like a japanese schoolgirl. Because, you know, her model was obviously Japanese. That's where the game was well, made. 
And you only see her in the codex before that, right? Right. And I expected like this woman who would like sit at the desk and just command authority. Like she always struck me as super strong, super with it. I loved like the little South African accent that she had, like the little hint of British South African in the original Metal Gear Solid that was lost in Twin Snakes. She just had this commanding presence. And then you see her in Metal Gear Solid 4 and she's doing the anime like, (laughs) I'm like, that is not Naomi Hunter. That is like, it absolutely broke the illusion for me. Like, it it was like listening to What's-Her-Face. I'm glad you guys are laughing. (laughs) It was like listening to What's-Her-Face from Final Fantasy XIII. Oh, shoot. Neil, your favorite character. Yeah. And she was just like, (laughs) it absolutely killed it for me. And like, I I think that, you know, that's, that's not her character. And, you know, on PlayStation, it was like, it was harder to tell, you know, you couldn't quite tell how Japanese the games were because they were still sort of localizing them as terribly as they did in the Super Nintendo era. But the tech didn't make that obvious. Oh my god. GameCube and PS2 era made it very clear. Like, look at the cutscenes in Final Fantasy X. Look at how Japanese Titus and Yuna look. Yeah. Like, and not that that's a bad thing, that's fine, but you can tell this was before they had sort of a homogenous anime look to them, as opposed to, like, you know, this was them designing characters that looked Asian. Yeah, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but again, like, the the disconnect between their character models and what's happening in cutscenes... And, and also the the language in Final Fantasy X. I mean, I, I think Derek hit it again, so we have to be really positive there. Hearing a fully voiced Final Fantasy game is still one of the high marks of my gaming career. Like, that, that I was just blown away. I was like, I am listening to a Final Fantasy game. Like, th- this is crazy. And yeah, there's some crappy parts here and there. But overall, I think they did a very good job. Like, it, it was they very, yeah, very no, impressive. Yeah, I mean, for that, for that era, like, you know, it's not terrible. Like, it's... It's wonky, but it's wonky in the way that, like, an anime localized in the early 2000s was. Yes, yes, that's very fair. And I, you know, I I think what we're kind of, to get us back to the the Dragon Age and the Final Fantasy argument, what brought everything together is, like, why do we play these games? And when it comes to optional boss battles, like, there almost has to be something to get me to participate in an optional boss battle. So in Dragon Age 2, killing the dragons got you like those really awesome pieces of armor for Hawk. And I was like, I need to have those pieces of armor. That is badass. I look great. Now I kill one of these dragons in Inquisition, and I'm like, huh. I got this armor that's like 10 armor better than what I'm currently wearing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think for me, there has Don't to be Don't play MMO, Rob. <laughs> Right? There has to be something beyond... I spent 600 hours getting my Zodiac weapon. It has half of a stat point better. Oh, Jesus. I I can't believe I'm working on that. I hate myself for it, and I I don't... Every day I look at that, and I'm just like, ugh. You're doing your uh, best. I guess. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. But the the thing that I needed... I'm, I'm fine with optional boss battles, A, if they don't block you from accessing regular game content, and B... I just want the encounter to be memorable in some way. Yes. Like it's not good enough yes. for me to have like if it's just a reskin of an existing enemy but with nine 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 HP, like that's stupid to me. I don't I'm I'm not I'm, interested in doing that I will say is Omega Weapon in Final Fantasy Eight. I thought that was very memorable and that was a reskin of Ultimate Weapon. Yeah. But that was like, you know, you had to do something really particular to get to him. You had to ring the bell and run through Ultimatius Castle. 
and get to Omega Weapon. And then it's like this boss that's so far beyond you and you beat him and you get a stupid thing in the menu. But that was cool because it was like, yeah, this is like an end game. You know, I'm going to challenge myself because I'm enjoying the experience. So I don't necessarily think I have to get something that is tangible in the game. Same, same. Yeah. As long as the experience of fighting it is cool. Yeah, I agree. That that the experience of fighting it is the important thing to me. So it's like fighting, uh, like in Digital Devil Saga, fighting the protagonist of Nocturne, or in Persona Four, fighting Elizabeth, or, or um, in oh god, I had another example. And I just Shit, I, I, oh, Final I, Fantasy Twelve, the Gilgamesh fight, like all those, those are worth it just for the experience. I think. I mean, I, I guess in in the case of Persona Nocturne uh, or Persona Digital Devil Saga, the, those bosses are just like stupid hard. Can, can I? Um, and they they exist to to completely turn the the battle mechanics on their head, and that's that's a certain kind of challenge that I am not always up for. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But things like the Gilgamesh battle, like awesome music, unique uh, boss animations, and like unique bo- unique boss model. I can't talk. That so kind of stuff is enough, enough of a reward, I think. Well, and that kind of <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Rob. Uh, I, you know, I, I know Derek's going to get mad at me here, but me, you... I'm mad at you. I know, uh, but you guys asked me before because I, I seem to be the one dissenting opinion on the Dark Souls Two DLC, and that's because with the DLC for Dark Souls One, you literally had like three of the best boss fights in the game. Yeah, like I was actually DLC. watching my brother's friend play that yesterday, and I was amazed. Like, not only is that DLC integrated incredibly well like you know because it was supposed to be part of the game to begin with yeah it's in the design works i'm I'm downstairs in my office right now i have the dark souls design works and it says like this is all cut content because it was yeah. before it had even been announced like there are things in the existing game before they even knew there was dlc that are like yeah if you could somehow find our tourists you could probably learn to traverse the abyss and i'm like hmm and those boss fights are in like they start out with the sanctuary guardian that thing is just like hissing and it's like a mad cat just like trying to kill you you get to the artorius fight which is just that is the best difficulty it it is perfectly difficult because if you you know when you mess up you know when you did it you you did that extra hit because you got stupid and he made you pay for it manis is I think a little on the hard side, but I love the integration of the story element there, you know, with Sif. And then, yeah, the the orb that you had to use to protect yourself. I didn't like the orb part. I've never thought that worked well, but having Sif for that fight made it really awesome and very doable. Fight, Derek, you're in the abyss, basically, which is like pure darkness, and you have a talisman that protects you from the power of the abyss. And so he has one attack that if you don't use the talisman, it will kill you. So you have to have this item on your hotbar so when he does this move, you can use the talisman to protect yourself. And I always fumble with it like a 14-year-old. Like, I always fumble with it, and I just never get it right. And so that always irritated me. But, like, those three boss fights are incredible. Then you go to the Dark Souls 2 DLC, and I'm sorry. People can yell and scream at me all they want. I think all those boss fights are terrible. They're either reskins of old boss fights. That I can't stand. That's crazy. Like, that to me is just lazy. Or they're boss fights against NPC characters that require you to have backup. So it's like, okay, this isn't really fun. And then the new ones, with the exception of like the one in the DLC I didn't play, who looks somewhat interesting, they're just not very well designed. Like they're just giant dudes with swords that have like they can kill you in one hit. 
that's what bored me about almost all of Dark Souls 2. Like, I, I, I still haven't finished it, and I doubt I will. You know, it's just like the levels were neat looking, but like the design was not as, you know, they compromised to make it more gamey and friendly in the way that they did with Far Cry 3 and 4. Far Cry 2 is not as fun to play, no, as Far Cry 3 and 4, but it's also like it's a more memorable experience because of how it's set up. And, you know, Dark Souls having to walk through the level to get back to the boss or having to, you know, find bonfires and wary that you wouldn't be able to get back here easily was part of the experience. And in two, it's just like, meh, you can go here because it's just a level and the boss is just some giant dude with armor. Like there, there were only a few boss fights in Dark Souls 2 that I felt were very memorable. I think that the, the Mirror Knight was an awesome fight. That was I, cool. I think the Rotten was pretty cool. Like, I, I liked him. He was kind of a play on the, um, oh, what was the thing in Demon Souls? The real big fat guy in Demon Souls. But he was less memorable than that. Robert Steinman. No. Uh, that's that's oh, hurtful. Man, I, I've got a weight problem. That's hurtful. Oh. Um, no, I'm yeah, sad. No, you don't shut up uh like dark souls 2 just wasn't very memorable and those boss fights were just not very interesting to me so when i when i beat those dlcs when i beat episode one and two and i put that i can't recommend these it was because i didn't enjoy any of the combat i didn't like yes this was just like barreling through optional content very similar to like what we're talking about with dragon age inquisition and final fantasy 10 international I'm just barreling through this content, and it's not even enjoyable. It's just an endurance challenge. Now, well, now, you know Steven, Steven, it, you it may like that. Like, no, no, it comes down to like, you know, do you want just more of this game? Is that in itself worth playing? And but, but not opinion, that. Like, also, a, lot of, a lot of games like Dragon Age are so big now that it's like I don't need just more of it. Like Skyrim expansions do nothing for me, right? Because it's like there's already a ton of this game that I'm not going to get to. Give me something interesting. And that's why, like, again, I'll playing Kingdom Hearts 2, like, these optional boss fights are tied into the story. They're things people wanted to begin with because when you first played KH2, it's like, oh, man, Organization 13, there's 13 members. Why are half of them dead? You know, and you know why they're dead, but it's like it still doesn't take the fact that it would have been fun to fight them. So it's like these are fights that are like, oh, I wanted to see these fights. How does this character fight? I remember seeing them. They look really cool. Or I fought them in Chain of Memories with cards so it wasn't as neat. You know, and then, like, these are challenging fights because the system is like, yeah, we want you to master this system and really play it well. But they're right. also tied in, like, the dungeon you do to unlock the secret organization fights is the coolest dungeon in the game. It requires, like, actual traversal abilities, which none of the other dungeons did. Like, you need to be able to glide and double jump, and it's all these really interesting platforming challenges and cool combat. And then there's, like, a story reason why it's all there. And then it's like, yeah, you know, originally they said in KH2, like, you were just supposed to fight the organization in the Hercules Coliseum. It was going to be like a generic, like Kingdom Hearts one fighting Leon type thing where it's just like, yeah, he's here. And instead it ended up being this whole side thing that is actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the parts of dragon age inquisition that have really grabbed me are the, the story missions with your, with your party members. That's what I've really been focused on because I'm getting something interesting out of that combat uh, content. I'm getting new story beats. Cool. Uh, What's that? Cassandra's mission is very cool. Yeah, like I'm learning really cool things about my party, and I'm really liking that more than like these optional dragon battles, which really they're they're not really giving me anything. They're just kind of there, and so. You know, a, there has to be more to the experience than just a. This is one new thing. and hard, or 
B, it's just more content. Like you're talking about in Kingdom Hearts, like having to do some traversal. Like that's a good way to make the game interesting. Like I know a lot of people make fun of Blight Town in Dark Souls, but Blight Town is an ordeal. Like you Blight Town is memorable because yes, Blight Town sucks because of the frame rate. So if you're on P- console, yeah. But getting around Blight Town, like. People, every time I play Dark Souls or I see someone playing it, they remember, oh, I got killed by that guy with the darts there. Or, you know, you memorize things about Blight Town because it is interesting. Yeah, and there's nothing. Horrible, but interesting. There's nothing interesting about the absolute slog of enemies. I I feel like I'm still defending my reviews, but in in the Dark Souls 2 DLC, there's nothing interesting about you walk into a room and it has eight giant guards with giant swords. That's not interesting to me. That's just you put a ton of enemies in a room. Like, why not do something crazy? Like, it, make the room interesting. Make it something that's memorable. This is just an endurance challenge right now. Like, th- this isn't fun. Yeah. So, and and luckily with every trailer for Bloodborne that we've seen, and I am officially cutting myself off. I'm not doing any more news stories for Bloodborne. I just want to go into that game right now. That is just every encounter every boss looks insane like the the bo- the one boss in the graveyard who like transforms into like a giant wolf man and just starts like coming at you like trying to kick your face in like that looks crazy like that looks way more what about the gir- it does but rob you're hijacking i know i know we talked about bloodborne a couple times i know but i i love just it. a couple I love. Well, I'm buying a PlayStation 4 for the damn thing, so (laughs) I just I I really want to see some more interesting stuff, and I I do think Dragon Age Inquisition has a little bit of a problem with you're kind of fighting the same enemies all the time, and that that's fine. Like I don't think the combat is the real key to that game. It's very fun. I think there's a lot of really good ideas. I wish they had made some more interesting encounters. That's just my thought process there. I think when they finally decided to push the combat to its absolute limit, I didn't find it to be interesting. I found it to be very frustrating. It's fun, but it's less, you know, it's tactical still, but a different kind of tactical than we have specifically chosen where everything in this room is going to be, how you're going to enter it. You need to prepare for that. It's it's a different kind of tactical. So now I, I got to ask, because I was, uh, I, I've been playing so much Dragon Age, but it was really reminding me a lot of Skyrim. And I, I've, I think I've actually come around a lot on Skyrim because it's a game that, like, I'll pick up and just start a new character, like, every year. Like, around this time every year, I end up, like, getting my vacation, and I sit down and I say, you know what? I just want to play some Skyrim. Like, it's really fun. It's but, really immersive. But you can't be bothered to start up Shadow Hearts. Shut up. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Call it out, Rob. Call it out. Dude, I got to the schloop part in Shadow Hearts, and I was good. Uh, I was. That is the intro. Yeah, I know. Um, but like, you know what? No, 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 you can't have this. <laughs> we are angry at you. My question is, how do what do we want out of a game like Skyrim? Because I, I think that we're a site that uh, fewer of them, but we all kind of like Skyrim. Nope. I say Wrong. like, what I do you s- want out of a game like Skyrim? I want, I want fewer of them. Dragon Age Inquisition. Oh, and I have that, so that's fine. So you like... What about Dragon Age is making you like it so much more than Skyrim? Because I think to the outside observer, Derek, like they're very similar in a lot of ways. I think they're similar uh, thematically, 
but the gameplay is completely different. The combat in Dragon Age is so much more tactical and involved and just existent because in Skyrim it's just like get your stats up and then sling spells and hold down your trigger. Um, I like yeah, that Dragon Age has, has color magic party you want to kill everybody with. Right. I, I like I like that there's interplay between the party members and I think that Dragon Age is a lot more. It has a central narrative that draws me in a lot more than Skyrim because like Skyrim has the whole and, and Dragon Age has lore too. But Skyrim has like I guess Skyrim does have a main quest that that you follow. But I think that Dragon Age has much stronger characters, and I am always pulled in more to character-driven stories. And I like that you can choose which characters you want to get to know more intimately. And I mean, I mean, like a romantic sense too. But also just, oh, I like this character. I'm going to continue talking to them and then reveal more of their backstory. Whereas in Skyrim, what little I've played of it, and I, I'm not the best judge, I realize, but uh, Skyrim just never really did it for me because I feel like the world, the world is more interesting than any of the people inhabiting it. And yeah, because they're all was, procedurally generated generic people. And then, then, you know. But now, uh, so first off, I got two questions here. One, what was everybody's party for most of Dragon Age? Derek, you first. So far, I'm doing Iron Bull, Vivian, and uh, uh, Dorian. Okay. Uh, okay. I often use um, Cassandra, my character, who is a mage. And then I kind of mix and match the third and fourth. It depends on what I'm doing. Either another mage, Vivian. Um, I use Solus very rarely. I didn't really like him. Um, and occasionally Blackwell, occasionally Iron Bull, uh, occasionally Dorian. I, I, I liked everybody, so I tried to rotate my non-Cassandra and my character party. Okay. I did um, myself an Archer Rogue, Cassandra as a Sword and Shield, Blackwall as a Sword and Shield, and then Solus. And now I've kind of swapped out Blackwall for Vivienne because, dear God, Knight Enchanter. You guys got to teach me how to play as a two-handed warrior at some point because I really want to, but my two-handed warrior always sucks whenever I try to make him shoulder tackle everything, and it's awesome. I have to do what? I just said shoulder tackle everything. It's awesome and hilarious. And Scorpion chain them. Yeah, I was going to say you have to play it way more aggressive than a sword and shield because your defense is that you are knocking people down. Okay. Okay. I mean, that, that's been my experience. I didn't main one. I played as Blackwall occasionally as a two hander. So, like, you know, most of my experience is sword and shield and a mage. Okay. Okay. But now, my, my other question to go back to the Skyrim thing is why then? Because I, I think we all agree on this one game, but I, I'm not 100% sure now. Why then did we love Fallout 3 so much? Fall, I love Fallout 3. Sorry, I'm going to jump into this one because I actually I, – I think you made a good point here. Why do I like Fallout 3? Why do I like Inquisition better than Skyrim? Because Fallout 3 is smaller, yes. Yes. But there is there are things of interest at a far greater rate. Fallout feels like an interesting block of a world. Dragon Age Inquisition, there are interesting things in every corner of the world to see and to find. Skyrim is like, look, another gigantic expanse with pretty mountains and and sparkling snow and crystals. Um, and again, Dragon Age – or not Dragon Age, Skyrim is still a very good game, I would say. But I don't find it that memorable. You know, like Oblivion and Skyrim are both kind of like, what color, what color would you like to shoot at the enemy? you know, in terms of your character building. So I'm not attached to my character because it's like, I'll just do everything versus Morrowind, which was a little, you know, you could still sort of do everything in Morrowind by glitching it. But Morrowind visually was, I think, more interesting and unique. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference is that when I walk over a hill in Fallout or in, or in Dragon Age, I'm not sure what I'm going to find. It could be interesting. In Skyrim, it's like, well, it'll probably be another procedurally generated dungeon with generic loot in it that sucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and tons of lore that I don't care about. 
Okay. Okay. Derek, did you like Fallout 3? I did. Yep. And many, for many of the same reasons that Steven outlined, I, I just think it's a more interesting world in general. And it's 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 got more distinct areas and or like more, I guess more memorable locations and memorable plot points than um, Oblivion or Skyrim has done for me. Just because I think that anymore the, the generic medieval fantasy setting isn't good enough for me unless it does something interesting or different. And that's why I think Game of Thrones is so brilliant because it when I when I first heard about it I was like that sounds tremendously boring. I mean, I appreciate the political intrigue a lot in my games like Final Fantasy Tactics and 12 and pretty much anything involving Evilies and Suikoden which I want to actually talk about. Um okay. I, I love I love political intrigue when it's done well and Game of Thrones does that incredibly well, so that's the reason why I was I was able to accept this quote-unquote generic fantasy setting is because it did something different and I think mm-hmm. Skyrim just it doesn't work for me anymore because I, I didn't find enough interesting in the world but, but Fallout on the other hand had a very it has a very niche setting that a lot of people are really familiar with and fond of and um, I actually hadn't played Fallout 1 or 2 before I jumped into 3 and I, I still really liked it a lot so. mm-hmm. I think you said it really well too Derek like Game of Thrones it's okay to have that generic setting I just don't feel like Skyrim or Oblivion do anything interesting with it like, I, don't get me wrong, I played a zillion hours of Oblivion and a lot of Skyrim, and I enjoyed them, but I don't find them memorable in the way that I found Fallout 3. Like, you know, I can remember quests in Fallout 3. I remember blowing up the town in Fallout 3 or finding the Republic of Days versus <laughs> Skyrim. I'm like, yeah, I found, like, a guild or something, and I, you know, I got, I became the leader of every guild in the nation. You know, it's 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 a different approach, and I think that, like Game of Thrones and Fallout, you can take that generic setting, but you have to tell an interesting story with it or tell a story at all with it. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, I, I not think give, he, not give me lore books and say discover. I think there's also something. Yeah, to, that's not story. I, I think there's also something to Fallout 3's combat because it was so focused on like a little bit more point and clicky where you if you played that game like a shooter, it really played pretty terrible. But you, yeah, you never had to. So with Skyrim, you have to rely on its kind of crappy sword and shield combat. Like it's pretty terrible, and that's all you can do. Like I, I actually think the bows and arrows are pretty good in that game. They're they're way better than the sword and shield stuff, but they're also massively underpowered compared to magic and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think that that had something to do with Fallout as well. It was like. It felt meaty when you used a shotgun and vats, and I think that kept people interested. Yeah, I agree. Just something I was thinking about because I I really wanted Fallout Four to be announced at the VGAs, which oh, uh, <laughs> Me too. oh which by the way, um, great so, show. Yeah, Stephen and I were talking back and forth, and then Mike jumped in. Good lord, that was so much better than anything that had been done on Spike. And I'm sorry, people that were being like really snarky about that. I honestly, I don't even know what to say because I thought they did a really good job. I, I thought they did a very, very good job with that. In hindsight, there's room for improvement like anything. Like oh, sure, kind of sure. And, you know, I had some people on Twitter that were like, do you not realize this is just a giant corporate shill? And I'm like, do you ever go to E3? Yeah, seriously, it's the same like, thing. Like, yeah, it's the corporations showing off their games. But you know what? I believe that somebody who has played a video game was involved with that show. Yes. Like music shows were great. I got the sense that there was a lot of genuine enthusiasm there. You know, you had like dorky developers on stage being shy and sweating their ass off talking about their game. That's what I want to see. Like that was that was genuine. And that's I really like that show for that reason. 
Yeah. No, I, I really liked it. And again, it, it definitely could have been better in some ways, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I was so, so happy compared to a lot of the crap that we've seen lately when it comes to video games. And it, it was just really fun. I, I thought it was really cool. So good on them. I was very happy. Did you see it, Derek? Are, are we talking about a show that just aired? Yeah. The, uh, you know how Spike used to do those terrible video game awards? Yeah. Well, Jeff Cayley actually went and funded a new one on his own that's not affiliated with a network. And yeah, it was like two weeks ago. It was the day before the PlayStation experience. And it was like, oh, okay. Good gaming. I would recommend watching it even now. It's a fun show to watch. You know, the awards were sort of pointless, but nobody was watching it for the awards. Um, yeah, okay. That's, I think that's why I, I wasn't sure what you were talking about. Because but I was like, like, you what might have. I was thinking you would actually enjoy it because it wasn't like the VGAs, which were like, check out the latest Call of Duty winning best music. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, no. games were all over that thing. They announced the Banner Saga 2 at it. You know, they had Taylor Davis and Austin okay. Winry performing music live. It's ringing a bell. And truthfully, but yeah, I didn't I didn't watch that at all because I think it, for me it was just overshadowed by the PlayStation experience news and stuff. Which was also good. Yeah, it was. All right. Let's talk so, about more games. I play. I've been playing Dungeon Man's for review. Dungeon Man. Dungeon Man's is a game with a doofy title. We previewed it. Andrew previewed it last year. He said it was cool. It's a kickstarted roguelike, and uh, you know, when you look at it, it doesn't look like much. It's very, you know, it's two D graphics. They're you know neat sprites, not much animation. Um, but oh my god, does that game have it where it counts? Um, so, the best way to describe it is it's sort of like a classic computer RPG in that, you know, you move around, you know, tile by tile and, uh, you know, it has roguelike elements, permadeath, uh, you know, but what it gets really right is that there are a lot of rogue legacy like elements where there's persistence to it. And that's what first had me interested in playing it. That, and the fact that the score is by Andrew reverse as Zircon and it's designed to sound like final fantasy 12 and final fantasy tactics. And it's fantastic. Um, it sounds like a classic, like long lost PlayStation game. But so what's cool about it is that you have all these different classes, you know, ranger mans, wizard mans, and they're all the, – the game's sense of humor is hilarious. Um, and so you found an academy of adventurers, and then you go out and explore the world and, you know, delve into dungeons and fight evil. And, uh, you know, what's persistent is that you find these legendary objects, like, you know, items that upgrade your academy, and that helps future generations. Like you'll get items that raise your stats. Oh, and every very, time you get a yeah, like you know, if you beat a champion monster, you'll get a potion, you'll get a mark of strength. Strength is the strength stat. And if you give that to the academy, it gives you two skill points and it gives every future generation one bonus skill point. You get items that upgrade your library, which lets you identify scrolls. You get items that upgrade your al- your you know, your alchemist. You get you can give stuff to your blacksmith to improve your starting gear. Um and then you can go out to towns and if you can upgrade towns and if you're the first person to help a town become as prosperous as it can be. They build a statue of you. And it even has elements of shadow of Mordor where there's like this nemesis system where like, if a monster kills you, if you're in a dungeon, he becomes the Lord of that dungeon and becomes like this super powered boss. And you know, if, you know, if, if a monster on the map kills you, he ends up founding his own dungeon there to mark where he killed one of these adventurers. And you can go back and it's dark and a little dark Soulsy where you can go back, get your, your, your tomb back and you'll get some of that character's experience and in a Lord of the Rings-like twist, you know, you start out with, like, generic sword or, you know, generic, you know, you'll get, like, a discount short bow. And then you can get scrolls and different things in the world where upgrade your weapons. And as you upgrade them, they become legendary. So, like, if you die and you're a high level, 
when you find your character's body, you'll find Talus's legendary short bow of Hyperion blasting Super Doom plus five. And, you know, <laughs> then you can start your your academy will start to store and catalog these items and be like, oh, remember generations ago when Talus 4.0, I named my characters Talus 1.0, 2.0. I got to 10 and named one of them 10 too because I want to be funny. But, you know, you'll go to a town and they're like, oh, I remember when Talus 10 2 came through here with his legendary sword of Hyperion blasting five. And, you know, it's you start to formulate this legend across the little continent of your of your academy. And uh, the gameplay itself is really fun. All the classes play a little differently and you can build them any way you want. Like, you know, so you could be a ranger, but then go put points into magic. So like there's a class called the Bannermans who is a spear and banner wielding class where they'll like put banners down that do effects on the battlefield. So like I'll make a ranger who's really good with ranged weapons and then get a banner that makes it so it dampens ranged attacks on me and makes my ranged attacks steal stamina or something. And, you know, so you, you come up with all these really cool builds and, you know, you're, you're getting stronger and faster because every generation your character is a little better. So it has that really great hook of Rogue Legacy where you have that permadeath that compels you to succeed and play well. But then you have that persistence where it's not like, yeah, I died and I lost everything. And now I'm, you know, I'm bored because I start from scratch. That is absolutely um, key to me enjoying a roguelike. Like, I, I can't. Oh, yeah. I think you'd all like the Binding of Isaac if it did that. Oh, honestly. I do like I, the Binding of Isaac. Like more. That and the I think it's like that the art style. That's what, that's what I mean. Yeah, um, no, I mean, you know, that and the art style. Like, I don't really like the art style in Binding Isaac, but yeah, and like, you know, you can, you know, if you want to play again, or you want, you can re, you can reshuffle the world map anytime you want, and you know, it'll keep your character consistent if you're brave enough, but it'll reshuffle all the dungeons and stuff. And I've only done that once, but you know, as you play, you find different kinds of dungeons. Like at first, you're just going into caves, and then you're going to ruins. And then you're going into tombs where legendary heroes that might be your hero have died and like corpses have risen up that, you know, are drawn by the power of your hero. You go to towers and you fight different kinds of bosses. And it's cool, too, because it's not like you're always doing the same thing. It's sort of like Rogue Legacy where you'll go to a dungeon and like it'll have some crazy gimmick in it where like like you go to if you go to a graveyard zombies spawn out of the ground every few turns so you have to mitigate that there are existing enemies in the map and then occasionally there's going to be a mess of zombies coming at you and uh you know i just i can't say enough good things about it it's just so addictive like i was expecting it to be one of those games i take for review where i'm like yeah the music's good and it's sort of okay and now i have like 25 hours on it and i just want to keep playing it it is so much fun uh, it just came out of early access. It's 1.0 release version. It's still got some bugs, but most of them are funny rather than annoying. Um, so it's not it's not like a, the game is broken. Um, definitely some glitches, but uh, you know it's great in the character building area. You know you get that chance to really refine a good build. The loot system is very Diablo like, where you're you know finding these really like it's because of how the game is structured. You're always finding like really cool items. So it's like Diablo 2 and the new Diablo 3 where, like, you know, you pick something up and you're like, oh, my God, this is going to totally change how I play my character. You know, at one point I found two really awesome swords and I was like, I'm going to start specking my ranger in dual wielding so I can murder people up close. Um, you know, so I, I really recommend it. I think I actually honestly think both of you would probably enjoy it. Derek, for the reasons I mentioned about Rogue Legacy, because I think that's why we both like that. And Rob, because I think you'll really like the sort of. Uh, the binding of Isaac, the roguelike aspect of it, but also the again the persistence of it. Um, you know, it's just you when you die, it's either you know you know you made a mistake. Hey. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in checking it out. Although I the trailer put me off because of the weirdly non animated sprites and everything. But uh, 
it's you know the sprites are sort of goofy like you know there's no animation it looks sort of homely uh, you know there's this term to it like you know homely it's move, it's got a good personality though is that what you yeah like you know when you move your character he bounces along a little bit it's not like it just moves like there's there's a lot of humor to it and i think what sold me most is that at one point you get a wizard robe that says there's flavor text on every item and the flavor text is like yeah right so the wizard in the 3000 gp robe is gonna come along and help the warrior oh to make that in six weeks come on come and on arrested development so there's a lot of you know i i am always laughing there's a lot of funny stuff like when you encounter the boss of a dungeon they'll be like ha i will forever be remembered as the monster who killed you that killed you killed that hero and you'll be like ha no one's gonna remember your name and if you do i'll make sure they get it wrong that's rough nobody laughed no it's funny though I mean, in, I would laugh in context. I yes, yes. Perhaps, perhaps my delivery was what lacked there. But it was no. terrible. Dungeon yeah. Man's out. Go try it. Zircon's soundtrack is amazing. It's PS1 style, but very original. Um, yeah, you said it evokes. Uh, I've read at least that it evokes Hitoshi Sakimoto, which is interesting. Me like mine. Get got it. Yeah, and you know that's that's not like something I made up. That's like he designed it. He wanted it to sound like Sakimoto, and it does. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a, con- it was a conscious decision to do that. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not like a lot of those soundtracks that ape a style without having their own thing going on. The melodies are great. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll, I'm going to hit I'll, it up. I'm music of the year. I'm looking for shards right now in not the hinterlands. I'm in oh, like I'm a sorry. snowy area. I, sorry, all the talk I'm about Dragon Age. I just I, I had to keep playing. God damn this mm, game. Yeah. I actually picked up the, uh, the World of Thetis uh, art book. That was from uh, Dark Horse Comics, and you know I really like the lore of Dragon Age. I know like there's been a lot of discussion on our site about whether the lore is good. I don't find the main through narrative to be that great, but I love the world that they've created. So I I, I don't know. I find it very fun. I think some of the I actually uh, I remember reading the discussion that you guys were having about Inquisition before I had played it, and I don't know if that had colored my perceptions of it or not, but I do feel like a lot of the dialogue, especially the really early game dialogue, is so hokey. Like, it it sounds like a Hollywood movie script. It's terrible. Like, <laughs> we must close the breach because we have to for reasons. I, I don't think it's as bad as some people say it is though i don't think it's garbage but i i did definitely laugh because i was like wow but then once you once you get into the game i think it gets a lot better but i think it presents itself as this like very bombastic oh look how epic that is kind of important fantasy It, it does have a little bit of that i can agree with that yeah but it's still a fun game, and I'm sorry you're looking for shards because that's mad tedious. Except that you get awesome like power ups for your Inquisitor with it. Yeah. Wait, like beyond yeah. just the Inquisition perks? Oh yeah. Really? Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh wow, yeah. yeah. You mm. get pretty strong, dude. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Well, please look forward to it. Derek, you said you wanted to talk about some Suikoden. I do, because Suikoden's really, really good. Hey, did you I guys know that Suikoden 2 came out on... Yes, we did. Um, I actually own it, in fact. I was talking to the listeners. Oh, um, were? I, I don't know. I'm just going to go with yes, that I was. So, yeah, Suikoden 2 is out on PSN. It is a reasonable price. It uh, released, I guess, accidentally at five ninety nine, and then after a couple of hours, they bumped it up to $10, which was the announced price. But... So we get into is amazing. It is one of the best RPGs ever made for so many reasons, but 
I, uh, I I was really excited about it, and I haven't played it in many, many years because I foolishly sold my copy. I remember actually selling it for Final Fantasy XI on PS2 with the hard drive. Like, I remember trading it in to Funko Land like a derp. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll give you 20 bucks for that, you know, incredibly rare, several hundred dollar game. We'll go sell it for 400 And even then it was rare, but not as rare as it became. Um, so sorry to all the collectors out there whose games have depreciated in value thanks to the PSN release, but it's... We're uh, for us. Right? So I think it's more important that everybody experience how good of a game it is. So I intended to just kind of grab it and fool around uh, with the game for a little bit and be, you know, reminisce and then commit to a playthrough at a later date. Nah, I'm going on it. I've put in like, I don't know, five or six hours uh, just unintentionally i keep thinking like oh i should boot it up and play it for a minute but it's so good um i forget how many missable things there are in that game so it's kind of stressful because <laughs> um, you can constantly like every main story trigger or every story flag that happens it's like all right you better go to every available area near you and talk to every npc several times or like walk through a certain hallway because otherwise this character won't join you at this point and a lot I, of it um, Sorry, I was gonna say I'm actually I, I I started playing it a couple months ago and I've been replaying it now and like I agree that's stressful I you know it's one of the rare cases I play with a guide like it's a spoiler free guide but yeah. it's like hey, there you know you can recruit this person by going here and so I'm like yeah you know normally I wouldn't do this but I want to have everybody because I'm not gonna I'm no longer in high school and have the time to play through a, fi- a you know a 90 hour RPG three times. Right, and luckily a lot of those those missable things are just like, oh, that character will join you later under different circumstances, and that's cool because I think that I remember playing it uh, at the same time as a lot of my friends in middle school or whenever that was, uh, and uh, us being at different parts of the game and having different parties, like I thought that was super cool in comparison to how rigidly structured a lot of JRPGs were at the time. To be able to talk to a friend and have him be like, whoa, I didn't even know that you could get that character I, I thought that they were just a an npc or i got this character at this point in the game that's so weird how did you get them like oh i talked to her five times in the inn and gave her a glass of wine and they're like oh that's so weird she joined me at this other part because i had her friend in my party yeah um, or like people in the battles like if battles go a certain way like in the war battles they'll be like i'll defect to your team now and i'm like hell yeah you will yeah so it it did the the missable stuff is stressful and it is the kind of game that i would actually to anybody who hasn't played it, I would say to play with a guide. I mean, it, unless you really want to play through it again, uh, grab a spoiler-free guide and, and do that. Because the, just in like the first few hours of the game, uh, there are a ton of recruitable characters that you could either... I don't know. I don't know if you can permanently miss most of them, but um, you're not going to get them until much later on, or you're going to have to do different things. So, uh, And the, the, like, having so those much people that, around, like, the characters are interesting enough that you want to have them. And some some of them are really just kind of flavorless like hmm i'm so hungry can i join your army will you feed me food okay and then he joins your army like and then <laughs> they, they will say things on occasion in in cutscenes, but it's kind of like chrono cross where you will have your requisite second and third character lines of dialogue and they will be flavored to match however that character would behave normally and, and but, um, do, do i have to read french like a french me, accent again because that was like the worst thing ever <laughs> monsieur link Yes, you do. No, you don't, actually. Oh, God. Um, you have to read it through the terrible, horrendous, awful localization, but, again, the game is so good that it's... Y'all hate me. Oh, man, that game has so many typos, and is, like, just... Ugh. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, speaking of two, and, it, and it's good not just because it has lots of people to recruit, it's good because it has uh, 
the the whole home base thing is amazing that you can fill with other people and then the story is while awkwardly translated at points it's still really poignant and has a yes. lot of surprising twists um i know you haven't beaten it steven but and i won't spoil it for anybody seeing as it's relevant again but yeah yeah i got very far to where you were like learning about a certain character who is very key and they were challenging perceptions of that character yeah they do that a lot and i really enjoy that um and Suikoden and 2 had a lot of the little, I think, visual uh, nuances that contributed to it being so polished feeling. Sprites. Uh, I'm not speaking very well. Like, the sprites are, are so lavishly animated and have so many unique animations. Like, I think like, I mentioned like this on a previous episode. Yeah, like, when you see a character do some specific animation, like, oh, uh, they're doing a training drill and they're like they're swinging their tonfa around like that just happens in that one scene probably they specifically made that animation just for that one scene and the game is full of that kind of stuff yeah and, like a character that has supposedly died or been gone for a while will show up and there's like a unique hugging animation with just those two sprites yes and there'll be like the the portraits will change like there's a major character whose portrait changes um after they leave your party for a while and then later in the game when you re-encounter them they have a completely different expression to match their their newly found resolve and or jerkiness and or whatever's going on like like the the game does a really good and job of matching the the story and the conflict to the visuals I agree it's so good and the music's really good too but where, like you would think that with the age of it it would feel clunkier but the battles are actually pretty quick and like They're super fast the story yeah like the story and yeah they are really fast and, like, the story beats are very, like, you know, when things happen, like, you're legitimately sort of moved by it. Like, you know, there's a major character that makes some interesting choices that, that like, you know, in, in a modern game, it would be like, well, I know exactly where this is going. But, like, you know, they, they tell it really well and it's believable, but it's also very, like, wrenching. Yeah. Suikoden always surprised me a lot with its, with its uh, stories, and I think that was... What set it apart a lot from other RPGs was that not only did was it a fun game, good visuals, fast battles, and everything, but it actually had one of the most moving and complex stories, or series of stories, I guess, across all the games. So, except and even four, which is really bad compared to the rest of them gameplay wise, still has a pretty interesting story overall. So I have to ask the question again because I I asked it a while back. Yes, it's worth playing. God. No, I meant should I play Sweeked in one first? Oh, well, it's speaking in one is a lot shorter, and there is a really... You'll get a lot of good background. I'm going to say yes. You'll get a lot of good background, and um, there's a really cool side quest in two where you can recruit the main character from one if you have a save file. Hmm. So it's it's absolutely worth doing for that reason, because it's, it's also a really extensive side quest that has more story than uh, pretty much anything else in the, in the game, like side quest-wise. Well, I'm I actually you. wasn't going to. I, I was playing too, and then when it came out on network, I was like, "Well, I, I lost my save file," so I was like, "I'll start over." And I wanted that side quest, and I've played one a little bit, and it's two is basically just a prettier, more polished one. So I would say it's worth it to play them both, because um, there are a lot of cases where when I was first playing two, I was like, "Wait, how do those people know each other?" Yep. And like, there's a there's a major story side quest with a a, a, a bad character. That, like, it showed up in two, and they're making a big deal of it. I'm like, this is completely unrelated to everything. Why is this happening? And it's because it's one of the main arcs in one. Gotcha. Okay. Um, It's it's not a huge investment, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, both financially and time-wise. Because it's, 
I have heard people say you can beat it in 15 hours, but it's been so long since I played it that I don't know if that's accurate or not. That's just a number I've been seeing float around. Um, but, it, you know, it's like six bucks on PSN. Uh-huh. And I think that any... Like, the, the gameplay is very similar. The battles are, are running on the same engine and everything. So that it's not going to be... Like, there are not going to be any really inconvenient things that are going to make you go, oh my god, I can't deal with this. But 2 is just better. Just, like, a better version, you know. So. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you can add it to your list of things that we're going to tell you are the best games ever and you'll never play. Like Shadow yeah. Hearts. Dick. <sighs> there are so many hours in the day, gentlemen. Just wait until you all yeah, have careers. Yeah, there are enough hours for you to start another freaking Sky- Skyrim file. Like, oh, man, I couldn't even... Another Sc- Evil Within file. Another file. You know what? I enjoyed playing the Evil Within again, and that only took like eight hours. So. That's still eight hours you could have put into Shadow Hearts. Oh, God. A million other things. I'm not looking forward to all these Game of the Year lists when everyone's like, man, the Evil Within is the most disappointing game of the year, and I'm like, oh, just please shut up. Please, it, it's not perfect. It's a seven or an eight, but calm the hell down. Alien Isolation. I honestly think that might be one of the most overrated games of the year. That game's great for about two hours, and then you realize it has nothing else to show you. And it's like, oh, I am not that negative on it. I thought it was pretty great. It's pretty. Try. How long did you play it? About fifteen two hours. hours. <laughs> <You> played... <laughs> about two hours. It was great. No, no wait, 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 wait. You beat Alien Isolation. No, I played it for a while though. I was on I was on mega difficulty, so I was dying like every four seconds. Yeah, and like that's fine, but after you like get past the first alien encounter, that's how the rest of the game plays. But after you get past the first dungeon in Skyrim, that's how the rest of the game plays. And we oh, snap. About that's a problem. Yeah, but we still everyone still likes Skyrim and I don't know. I I thought Alien Isolation had some pretty I think that game had some very big issues. I, I'm happy it exists, however, and I don't think this this isn't an Evil Within versus Alien Isolation argument, but of course that's what it degenerates into. But I just I, I think the Evil Within has some serious pacing issues, but overall that game is a lot of fun and it's super intense. Like I think I like Evil Within, and I didn't beat either of them because both of them sort of just started to bore me. Yeah, they but both trail. Alien Isolation is the problem you have with it is the same problem people have with Dark Souls. Alien Isolation is not designed to be like, here's the sweet little game where you're going to not die, but you'll feel like you're going to die. But we don't want you to die because that would make you mad and AAA games have to let you finish. No, that's... No, no. Over and over again, and it's all beholden to a very consistent design philosophy that I like and I respect in the same way I respect that Dark Souls is not a game... Because there are parts of Dark Souls you have to walk through the same dungeon ten times because you keep dying. No, I, I completely disagree with you. The the difference between the two games, between Dark Souls and Alien Isolation, I, I – wow, I'm – okay. Ooh. All you have to fight in Alien Isolation are humans, androids, or the alien which you avoid. That's it. There are only three main antagonists, and that's fine, but for a 15-hour game experience to only have three primary sources of – like conflict it gets old really fast i think if that game was four to five hours it would have been phenomenal but after about hour eight i was sitting there going okay so this is just the same thing every time like yes, it was it was it was incredibly tense the first couple times i had to deal with the alien and then i just found him to be a nuisance like how do you think ellen ripley felt 
when she had to deal with the alien for ten hours. Uh, he thinks she, she wanted to stop, but she couldn't. She she didn't. Yeah, she did. Uh, no, because the alien's only full grown for like the ending of that movie, which mm-hmm. takes place mm-hmm. for about four hours. Yes. Hey, she didn't have a choice though. You got to finish it. I, I'm just saying. I, I think Alien Isolation needed to have some more to it. It 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 is a very good idea. I'd like to see them make another one, but that game got very boring very fast. And once you get the flamethrower, I think the game is actually pretty broken. Like well, especially that applies to real life too. So well, no, because the alien doesn't Derek, respond. Right. The the alien AI freaks out with the flamethrower, and sometimes it just it, it will just stand there and glitch out. Well, we'll watch your AI freak out when I get a flamethrower. Yeah, right, I shoot you with a flamethrower. I bet you'll just stand there and freak out. I probably <laughs> would. I would be very frightened by the flamethrower. Right. See. Welcome. You are now an extra in carry. Oh boy. Okay. Get all that pig's blood. I think now that we've gotten dramatically off task, we should go to news. Sure, why not? That's probably good good timing. All right, let's go to news. My first news story was just that we get in uh, one and two are now on Vita. I guess, I mean, one was available in the first place for PS1 Classics, but I think that they had to enable the Vita play. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, yeah, something like that. It wasn't available on something, and now it is. <laughs> yes, we are good reporters. So... Um, <laughs> So Sweet in 2 is, is available. It's 10 bucks. You should buy it. Um, this is kind of a sad piece of news. The Witcher 3 was delayed until May. It's not especially surprising, I guess. I, I kind of anticipated that it would be. not Just because of CD Projekt Red's commitment to wanting to make sure it's super bug-free and all that. And it seemed like there was a lot that we hadn't seen or whatever. And the game... I, I, I guess I just didn't believe that it was going to be out as soon as it was uh, slated to be. But... It, It'll be out in May. They will continue polishing it and, and adding to it, and there's going to be a second playable character. Yeah, before anybody starts attacking them for delaying that game, let's remember how much anger there was at games being released in very rocky conditions. I think Alien, Evil Within, Assassin's was, Creed. No, was anybody attacking preferable. for that, though? I feel like a lot of people were like, yeah, good job, we applied your commitment to not selling us broken products. No, yeah, there was. There, there was a little bit of anger online. A little bit. Because they, had they said, specifically said, they were like, hey, remember all those games that came out this month that were broken? We don't want to be one of those. There was a little bit of pissiness, but I, I would agree with you. It was very – it wasn't nearly as angry as we've kind of seen. And I, I think 2014, maybe it had something to do with the new console cycle, but I think 2014 was a very rough year for just overall quality of a released game. Like, Yeah, I agree with that. You had major save bugs in Alien Isolation. You had frame rate problems up the yin-yang and evil within. Assassin's Creed – yeah. <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed spawned my favorite glitch ever, which yeah. is the, the faceless people. Wolfenstein yeah. was a mess when it first came out across the board. Uh, Thief, good God. Like, yeah. this was a year of uh, Lords of the Fallen, anyone? This was, <laughs> this was the year of some really, really rocky releases. And so with the, the Witcher 3 delay, with the Bloodborne delay, I'm like, you know what? You go ahead and That's fine. Make it polish good. that game up a little bit. Yep. I would right. like a game to come out and just be ready to play. Kind of one of the more... I'm, I'm sorry to be on this Evil Within topic, but I, I'm just fascinated by the fact that that game has now been patched on the PC that you can take away the letterboxing, but they're not doing it on consoles. It's probably a performance thing. 
that is mind-boggling to me because I think that changes the game completely. Like, it, it gives you so much more viewing area, and it makes it an overall better experience. I don't even notice the letterbox. <laughs> Trust me, when you turn it off, you will notice it. You see so much more of the environment. And Are you saying you can see clearly now? The rain is gone. The boss it, is gone. But it, it's just weird, and I, that gets to a whole question about, you know, the director was very adamant that this is the way the game should be played, and then somebody patched it, and then in Be- Bethesda said, okay, we'll patch it. I don't know, but like this, this was a rocky. To get back to the main point, this was a rocky year for game releases. Dragon Age was pretty rocky when it first came out. It it still got some problems here and there. They've been pretty good at patching it. Let let's let them take their time to fix games up. And hopefully they release it on Steam. Yes, that's where I want. That's why I want The Witcher Three on Steam. It is on else. Steam. Is it well, already? I believe it is. Good. I got Steam. When it comes out no. on May nineteenth, that so you can download it and install it on Steam. Well, they already gave me a copy, so <laughs> that was. Oh yeah, that's. It is on Steam. Yeah, because we got out of the the Witcher three like uh, press conference, and we had been able to talk to the developers, and then we got this Geralt statue, and at the bottom of it was a code for good old games, and I was like, oh, wow, they're cool guys. They are really cool guys. Now just start talking to me about Cyberpunk. <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait. Same, yeah, I'm, I'm arguably more excited for that than Witcher 3. I am too, I agree. Mostly just because I, like, I, I recognize that Witcher is, is great, but I haven't gotten invested in either the first either the first two, so I just, I like cyberpunk more than, uh, I, I like cyberpunk as a genre or a setting more than I like fantasy. Dirty so. European fantasy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alright, so Witcher's been delayed. Uh, yep, so it's been delayed. Um, still crying. I'm sure I feel bad. Uh, an announcement that we, I guess we kind of saw coming, but it's really nice to have a, an official announcement for it. It was Theaterism Dragon Quest. So that's super exciting. I know that the, that at least for Steven and I, the music of Dragon Quest isn't as memorable as the music of Final Fantasy taken as a whole. But there are still some really good pieces. And, and uh, as a game, I'm just super glad that that is coming because that's like Square, you know, they said they were going to make more theater rhythms and they are. Yep, they're doing it, and that means that uh, Theater Rhythm Kingdom Hearts could not be far away, Steven. Well, maybe like a year or two away. But And and speaking of which, so Theater Rhythm Dragon Quest, it was announced. Awesome. It's going to come out in Japan on March 26th. Uh, no U.S. release announcement yet, or nor the uh, English in general release announcement, but it'll probably come. Hopefully, at least, because uh, Dragon Quest hasn't, hasn't been coming here lately in anything other than their mobile ports. Yeah, I don't so. think I don't think we're going to get it. I, I really don't. I don't think it would make any think, sense for them to bring that instead of Dragon Quest Seven, unless maybe they're saying, okay, well, Dragon, the, localis- the well, localization okay. is too much. Well, I was going to say, those are completely different projects in terms of scale. Yeah, but, but I, I don't see how you bring that and not Dragon Quest Seven. That Well, that would, okay, I could, I could see Square Enix doing it just to piss me off. Well, because Theater Rhythm is going to be a much easier project for them. It's going to be a, a way smaller localization, way less text to take care of, and it will sell based on the theater rhythm name at this point, I think. I mean, not that theater rhythm is like a, a household name or anything like that, but Curtain Call did very well. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same people will see that and go, oh, cool, another theater rhythm game. I should grab this, even if they're not hugely into Dragon Quest. So, I don't know. I, I hope it comes out here. I, I feel like it will, but I, there's always a chance it won't. But I was going to say, um, on that note, that theater rhythm Curtain Call is getting a 
a kind of a surprise extra DLC pack. It's coming out on the 24th, which means that it should be up by the time you hear this episode. I'm uh, so excited. Yeah, it's uh, it's like 10 tracks, I think, but um, it's got a whole bunch of stuff. It's got two news. Uh, it's got two tracks from Final Fantasy 14, uh, four tracks from Bravely Default, uh, one from Type Zero, the, the main theme Zero, which is by Bump of Chicken, which is awesome. Yes. Uh, it's got another track from Romancing Saga Minstrel Song. It's got a Saga Frontier track, a Secret of Mana track, and a Chrono Trigger track. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, and they're they're all a bucket piece. And I'm frankly I'm pleased and surprised because I figured that they were done with Theater of the DLC because it's been out for a few months now, and I was just like, all right, they've they've done their schedule. They've released. They did what like eight weeks of DLC. Yeah, what they had mentioned, though, is that that was the first batch and that they were going to use that as the base for future DLC for the series. Like, you know, when 15 comes out, they're going to add DLC to it via, you know, uh, theater rhythm. And I I really like that they're sort of living up to that. It's like, yeah, it's not a regular schedule. But on the other hand, it's also like because the Bravely Default DLC came out in Japan like a month or two ago. Yeah. And so we weren't sure we were going to get it. And so now that they're releasing this here, that's an awesome precedent because, like, you know. I would love to have another pack that's like, here's a bunch of Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross music. I, yeah, that. I, and they could be like, here's music from the latest Final Fantasy XIV patch. And like you said, here's music from Pet 15 when that comes out. And I know that's a ways down the line. But if they yeah, actually continue awesome. to support this, I mean, like in a rock band kind of situation, I could see that being really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, cause you, you think about it, too. That's such easy profit for them. Like, you know, you they're, they're supporting Final Fantasy XIV so well. They're still supporting Final Fantasy XI. You know, they're making money off these things. So... The DLC, from what I've heard, has done very well. Um, so it's like, you know, why not just throw those songs? You know, they do a good, they throw, they put the background together, they put it in the game. You make people who bought into that game really happy, and you make money. Yep. It works. It prints money. It does. I am That's going good. to buy, I have bought all the DLC so far, and I'm going to continue to buy it all. Yeah, I, I have a lot of it. Not all of it, but. We need to play it online. We haven't played I, it enough. I know, yeah. I think I'll, I'll pick up just about every one of those songs they just announced, so I am in. Um, so speaking of announcements of things, Atlas announced two two new things. Uh, Etrian Mystery Dungeon is coming out here in early 2015. It's a mm-hmm. cross between Etrian Odyssey and the like Shida and the Wanderer series, the, just the general Mystery Dungeon series. Like if you've played Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Chocobo's Mysterious Dungeon, any of those, it is like that. So it's taking Etrian characters and classes and putting them in a grid-based kind of roguelike dungeon thing. Um, what's interesting is that it was announced in Japan, and then an English release leaked like right in the, right away, within a couple days. And people were like, no way is that true. And then they went ahead and announced it. So they've clearly been in the planning stages of localizing that from the very beginning. At least Atlas that's what it is seems. clearly just wanting to be nice to us, and we love them for it. Yeah, so they announced that, and then they also announced that... Uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor 2 Record Breaker is coming out here. That is a 3DS uh, port, if you will, maybe like an upscale of Devil Survivor 2, which was originally just a regular DS game. Uh, it includes complete, like a completely uh, new scenario that you can access from the title screen, which is cool because people like me, like I just played through Devil Survivor 2 recently. It was like a year ago or less. And uh, you can just jump straight into the extra scenario right away without having to beat the game. It is apparently as long as the main game itself, so it doubles the game's length. And uh, the whole game has English voices, English voice acting, um, relocalized dialogue, and then other new tweaks. Um, 
but I never played that one. I never played that one. I love the first one. I'm really excited I, for that. I really like it. I really like two. It's definitely um, reminiscent of like Neon Genesis Evangelion. Nice. It's, it's it's got like that exact vibe almost because you have on every day of the game there's like a new alien invader attacking that they have to fight and they're that's like the, the game Septentrion or whatever, right? The what? The Septentrion or Septentrion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Septentrion. And and the game does an awesome job of making them super freaking intimidating, like because they all have these weirdly these strange, like angular geometric shape designs where they seem very otherworldly and yet they're doing things like exploding and making people like blow up into balls of fire and slaughtering humans and stuff. Like it's it's really <laughs> I hesitate to say it's really cool how they slaughter people, but but the designs are very compelling and interesting, and I think that the they're some of the more memorable foes in in any Shin Megami Tensei game. Um, and I really like it a lot. It's got so. everything from the first game, right? From uh, Devil Survivor Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that was more. Okay, because yeah, that, that okay. I was just looking on Amazon because when you say Neon Genesis, I'm like, hello, I am on board. You should yeah, play I, actually, it's really good. Well, I, I mean, I got to play Shadow Hearts first, right? You do, but you know, I I can't police your game playing Rob. Well, I have to actually RMA my graphics card, so I'm gonna have to uh, be without my computer for maybe a week or two. So, I want, you know what I want to do? I want to make you play Kingdom Hearts two. I want all the listeners to like donate five dollars each, so we can make you play Kingdom Hearts two because you'll be obligated by their kindness. Oh my god! I I mean, I liked Kingdom Hearts two. I just have absolutely no desire to play it again. That's usually what I say about the the most awesome games. Yeah, I played that in college, dude. I'm I'm good. <laughs> Moving dude, on. I, I hit thirty last week. Go to hell. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, shut up. You're not old. Uh, Moving on. I'm so uh, more announcements. Two new Saga games were announced, which is really exciting. They haven't been announced for release outside of Japan yet, but uh, there's basically a brand new Saga. Like if you're familiar with Saga Frontier, Romancing Saga, that series. Um, at this point. It's just being called Saga 2015. It doesn't have an official name yet. But it's a PlayStation Vita RPG. And the only details that really exist are that uh, there are illustrations from the series illustrator, Tomomi Kobayashi. And there are going to be multiple protagonists like in every Saga game. Awesome. uh, I'm I'm excited about that. I I have really good memories of Saga Frontier. Uh, Two, not as much. But they're very odd, wonky games. But I think that they're compelling in their own way. And I... I look forward to seeing what they do, if they can kind of modernize it a little bit, but still retain that multiple scenario system. Um, it could be good. And they've always had great, great music. Kenji Ito is fantastic. I agree with that entire assessment. Yep. Um, there was a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of Square Enix news over the last couple of days because of Jump Festa and the Final Fantasy XIV Fan Festival in Tokyo. Oh, oh no, 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 no. We, we, we are talking about one news story before all... Well, it wasn't even a news story, but we have to talk about the biggest troll ever in the history of video games. Oh, oh God, Final yeah. Fantasy VII thing? Oh, yeah. He... Oh, <laughs> my God. That, that was pretty... I do not pretty understand intense. what they were trying to get at with that. Like, I was stupid. I'm hoping that, like, I, part of me was hoping that, like, ten minutes after that, so what we're talking about is during, what was it, the PlayStation experience, they get the Square Enix guy on stage, he's talking about Final Fantasy VII, everybody is just expecting, oh my god, here comes the remake, that's never going to happen, 
And then they make a big deal out of the announcement that we are getting the PC version of Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation 4. But the way they set it up, he was like, one of the greatest adventures of all time. You've all been wanting to play it on modern consoles or, you know, play, oh you've been wanting to re-experience it. And, like, it comes on and, like, the trailer doesn't make it immediately apparent and everyone's like, oh, my God. And then it's like, here's a screenshot of Aerith from 1996. I really thought that they might, like, ten minutes later, bring him back on stage and be like, nah, here's the real announcement. Like, just the ultimate bait and switch. But they were completely serious. What? They still, yeah. haven't, they still haven't remade Final Fantasy IX on anything. And I, what? I'm not one for, for any kind of conspiracy theories, um, but I honestly think, or, or, you know, people being like, oh my god, they knew that that was going to bait people, or blah, 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 blah. I just think that was a stupid decision. Totally boneheaded. Yeah. Like, what, what a giant middle finger to their fans i like that's the thing is like not the square has been doing better lately much better yes they have been that's insulting that's like hey there's no way that you can chalk it up to a cultural difference there is no way they thought that that was going to be an announcement that anybody would that did not need to be he didn't need to come on stage to be like hey a game that's on everything else is now on everything more do you think that maybe they i mean this this happens sometimes where publishers pull you know game trailers you know we always hear about the stuff that happens at e3 like hey this this trailer was literally coming off the plane with kojima they weren't sure if they were going to have it do you think that maybe they were going to show like type zero footage and then they just didn't have it so it was like well we got 30 minutes we got we got 10 minutes to kill what do we do i you know i think maybe it was a we want to be here but we have nothing to show because we save it all for jump festa because square always does that square does not premiere stuff at other shows. I know, but this is the second time that Square Enix has, like, with the PlayStation 4 reveal, where they got up to say, we are making games for PlayStation 4. Look forward to it. Please look forward. Yeah, this is the second time they've done that. And they really... Uh, man, Steven, we need to get you into the games industry, and you need to go work at, with Square Enix as their PR handler. Okay. Because that... My God... You would not have put them out on stage. You would have beat them with a billy club and hid the body and be like, no, you can't go out there and do that. Also, you cannot, you cannot go out on stage and announce a Final Fantasy VII port. Don't forget that it's coming out at, like, what, $15.99? Oh, my God. <laughs> so please pay more than, than you would pay on any other existing console where you can easily play it immediately. Oh, my God. For no... They have said that it will have system-exclusive features, but that probably just means, like, you can Cloud stream saving. And Vita, yeah. Uh, like, mm-hmm. you know what I'd pay $15 for? A PlayStation 4 up-res port of Final Fantasy IX. Because that's something that they had to put effort into. Like, porting the PC version of 7 to PS4 is like, yeah, all right, I changed the tag to PS4, it's out. Like, <laughs> you know, I know why 7, you know why 7 and 8 have been ported, because they, you know, they had the PC port already. But it's like, why not go the extra mile and... Up res nine, people would be ex- at least a little bit excited about that. That would have been an interesting. Yeah. My own bias of nine aside, that would have been an exciting announcement. It would have been like, oh, cool, a better version of Final Fantasy nine. Right. It would be like something that doesn't exist on a million platforms for cheap already. <laughs> yeah, it's, I can play this on my Android toaster. Yeah. I I don't get what they were. I, I don't know that that don't know. to me was just like the. 
What? Okay, get to the get Let's to the push the good news, though. Yeah. So I'll start with the Final Fantasy fourteen stuff. There was a huge info dump for uh, the new expansion, Heaven's Word. It looks really, really good. I, like I am my dragon people. I am, of course, biased, but so they they announced a new race, which is called the Aura, and they are draconic humanoid people. Also, um, dragon people in Dragon Quest ten. It's weird. It's a very dragony year, twenty fifteen. Apparently, but uh, they they look pretty cool. The the um. NPC Yugi, who appeared a few patches back to basically like act as a lore introduction for the ninja job. She's an Aura, but she's been covered by this purple veil ever since her introduction. So they've been very subtly teasing her or teasing that race for many months now, which is pretty cool. So we got the final reveal of that or the, the official reveal. And then the two other new classes coming in the expansion were announced. So we have the Machinist, which is like a. Uh, it's the gunner class that that has been teased since 1.0 because they had a musketeers guild. Do they, um, do they have a a turret? They do. They have yeah. turrets. So yeah. that that is oh god, I'm so sick and tired of turrets. It, it, well, it's I, like a drone that they can mod and they use a gun. Yeah, it's a drone. It it seems more like it's going to be along the lines of summoner, where it's going to be a drone that's just going to hang out alongside you and do its own thing. Like you can command them, I'm sure. But the twist seems to be that you can customize them in some way. So um, it's like a, it appears to be a DPS pet-ish class, just like Summoner. So they announced that. And then on top of that, they announced the new healer job. It's Astrologian or Astrologian. I don't know. Uh, and it's basically a, it's a really interesting weapon concept. It's a diviner, basically. Like a, they, they have a globe that has hovering tarot cards around it. And they divine fortunes using the, the cards and that heals. And they use astrology in some way like they they use cosmic the jobs look awesome yeah it's it's got a really really unique uh i think art design for the weapon and the armor and everything so that should be cool so those new classes join the dark knight which was previously announced and it's a tank class uh, they showed some new footage of all those things and then they talked about the collector's edition that's going to be coming out for it it includes a dragon figurine which is gigantic uh, an in-game griffin mount, in-game uh, Dark Knight helmet, just like Cecil in Final Fantasy IV, an in-game Kane minion that just looks uh, like a little chibi version of Kane from FF4, and and more is what it says. So that's awesome. And finally, uh, well, I guess I could have done this in reverse order, but they announced that the new end-game content, uh, the, the main thing, is going to be the summon Alexander, and he is a primal, like a summon that the goblins summon, and he's so enormous that he is a dungeon. So you have to actually go inside him to fight things. Lemmy Winks. Oh, that Alex sounds so is, awesome. Alexander is my favorite summon. I'm so stoked about that. I'm so glad they went with the FF9, like, giant Alexander, too. Like, that is exciting. Oh, yes. you and your FF9. Oh, my God. If I'm not allowed to talk about Bloodborne, you're not allowed to talk about FF9. I don't bring up FF9 in every episode. You brought yeah. it up, like, seven times today. In this episode. But not for major topics to talk about for 30 minutes. And so there's some other, anyway, there's some other minor, um, well, not minor, but some other FF14 news that we don't really need to go into. They talked about the next patch, um, that's patch 2.5, the last major update before the game goes into the expansion. Uh, it's going to introduce the gold saucer, and yes, there will be chocobo racing and breeding and a bunch of other minigames. Triple oh triad. Oh, God, now that's It's going to have triple triad. That song's uh, in my head. Oh, my God. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's like a nightmare. remixed it. Yep. Oh, so that looks really cool. Um, on top of all the FF14 news at Jump Festa, there were some uh, new announcements like the Theaterism Dragon Quest, and then they showed off a new trailer for Final Fantasy 15. 
It's looking really good. They introduced I... the first female Sid, supposedly. I'm getting some mixed information on this. It, it looks like her name is Sydney or Cindy, depending on where you look. Um, I think Sydney needs to be it. I, I want it to I be think Sydney. It's yeah. Sydney. Yeah, it sounds like she's saying Cindy in the English trailer, which is why it's kind of confusing. But uh, yeah, I mean, game game's looking really great. Um, I I love the part with the snow effects. I don't know. If, did you guys watch the new trailer? I watched a little bit. I, of it, yeah, I watched the new trailer while I was road tripping here in a hotel like thirty <laughs> times because I yeah. love it so much. Yeah, it's a, a the the weather effects are looking really good. The the game just looks like it's shaping up really well. I'm excited. I, I definitely get a I, I get a Dragon Age vibe when I look at it. Like big open environments, you know. I'm really hoping there's lots of quests, lots of things to do, and you know, I'm I'm on board. I I want to see him do something. This looks like they have an idea of what they want to do, and they're going with it. Yeah, you know, that's we talked about that before. Like 13, the problem is they kept changing their focus. Same thing with 12. It's like, I, you know, <laughs> that's, like, that's just a great choice of words. They kept changing their focus. I thought their focus was singular. <laughs> no, but like, you know, they've decided what they're going with. And I really like like, you know, they're like, you can stay at a hotel. You can go camping. You know, yep. like the town looks really cool. They showed off. I mean, the scale of Titan that you can summon that sounds awesome. It looks really impressive. I mean, I'm just, I'm really pulling for this game because I haven't been excited about a Final Fantasy in a long time. So I, come on, Square Enix, let's get this one. Let, let's oh, get it done. Of course, the the music in the trailer was awesome. Oh my God. It was amazing. It I looks really it. cool. So good. Yep, but that's it for news. I mean, there was a gigantic Square Enix explosion over the weekend, so if you're curious, you can always check. We have a ton of articles posted up on the main page of the site, but props that covers the, the most of it. What? I said props to our new and old news team. Oh, man, our, new, our news team is killing it. They are insane. I love it. They're like legion. They are many. Yes, they're all awesome and amazing, and we you, love them. You know what game I forgot to talk about? I guess we'll talk about it on our year review show. Uh, I wanted to talk about South Park, but this gives me a chance to play more of it, because that game ah, is really, really good. Gives me a chance to play it at all before the next Both show. You should beat it. It is so good and funny. Like, that, that is a really so good game. Creative. You see what I mean, though, playing it, Rob, though? like It's not just that it's South Park funny, it's that it's creative funny. Yes, it is it's overall funny. Like, the gameplay things you do are creative and fun and funny. I don't know why I keep leaving all these audio logs around. I mean, they don't really do anything. <laughs> this seems like, like one of them outright goes, this seems like a terrible way to tell a story. Seems so lazy. I love the, you have to find the bronze key to get the silver key to get the gold key. <laughs> yeah. Just... When the ginger hallway monitor calls your mom and that ends the game. <laughs> <laughs> There is one problem with that game, which is when you give me a choice of character classes, and my choice is a warrior, a mage, a thief, or a Jew. Which one do you think I'm going to pick? Well, I picked a mage, so... Did you really? Oh, you're no fun. Well, the Jew is like a monk class. Yeah, and he's awesome. My, my wizard could drop battery cables on the into water and electrocute people. <laughs> the, the ice, the cone of frost spell is a fire extinguisher. 
That's a really good game. All right, we could talk about South Park all day, but I think we'll. Uh, you guys should all look forward to our year in review show. We'll probably get that up uh, as we go right into 2015. Uh, for Derek and Steven, thanks for listening to the show. As always, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us lots of reviews. We didn't get to 100 this year, and that breaks my heart a little bit, but there's always next year, and th- we'll, we'll see. We'll see. That'll I be blame good. you, America. Yeah. You know what really grinds my years? My, my years. You, America. My years. Yeah, my years. Yeah, 30. Woohoo. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, happy holidays to everybody. Have a very happy new year and make sure to play some games and enjoy it. Yep. Happy holidays. Keep on gaming.